with a capital C or something along those lines, and um, and uh, they usually go straight to the trash. Uh, but um, it, it is true that you know there there maybe is a little bit of an of an attack on Christmas or or that uh, in that way because of the pluralism that Daryl talked about. And it made me think as I was just sitting there that there's a reason probably why the, the three pastors that began this movement kind of didn't call it Christmas conspiracy. Because it's not something just solely about Christmas. It's Advent. The season of Advent. Advent conspiracy. It's something greater than just this one day. It's, it's a way of life, of recognition that a king has come and will come again. When I was in Turkey many years ago, we went with uh, Ray Vanderlyn and, uh, and got to visit all of the churches in the book of Revelation, the seven churches in, that are mentioned in Revelation and a few other cities. There was at one point where we were sitting up on this hill that had once been one of the churches. They have, through uh, archaeological means, uncovered some artifacts that, that lead them to believe that this was the location for one of the churches. For the life of me, I cannot remember um, what it was, and I have all of my notes that I took when we were there upstairs, but I just thought of this moments ago down here. Um, so I'll be right. No, just kidding. Um, but, but we're sitting up here in, in this, you know, foreign land, and, and we're up on this hill, and just you look down, and it's this huge valley, and you can see for miles. Just you can see for miles and miles and miles. And I don't remember all of what Ray was talking about at the time. I don't remember where we were, I don't remember, but there was an image that was just imprinted on my mind that I have kept for all these years. And he started telling about Advent and the coming of a king. And, and what Advent means is waiting for the king. That's what it means. It's waiting for the coming of the king. And it wasn't necessarily just a religious connotation. It was, it was, a, it was a worldly word. So Advent, to the people who didn't believe in Christ, who, who weren't looking for the Messiah, meant the coming, literally, the coming of the present king, the emperor. And so we're sitting out looking over this vast valley, and what Ray was telling us to picture was sitting out here in this city, and you know that the king is coming, because messengers have come and told you that the king is coming. Prepare yourself to bow down to your emperor. And so people would be on the lookout, and there would be this huge cloud of dust that was seen first. The first thing that you would have seen in this area, in this region, was dust. Why? Because the king didn't travel by himself. He had an entourage. A large entourage. There, there were, I'm sure, elephants and camels and donkeys and many, many, many people that would travel telling the king how great he was as he is making this journey. I'm sure there would be signs of his magnificence, like chests full of gold that he would carry across. Why? Because I have that and to let you know that I have it. And so there would be this huge procession coming through the valley, and you would first see signs of dust. And then maybe through the dust, the sun would catch one of the shiny silver or gold surfaces, and you would start seeing the gleamingness. And then you would begin to see the procession of, of elephants and camels and, and people and armies and all of these things. And at the end, somewhere, because you had to make a big buildup for his entry, you would find the king 
coming in and then you would begin to bow down and worship or be killed. Advent. That's the way a king enters, right? I mean, if you're going to make an entrance, make an entrance. But how did the king of kings make his entrance? In Luke chapter 2, we have his procession story. I'm going to uh, read a lot of it, so I may read quickly. At the time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was obviously pregnant by this time, the scandal. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. Okay, we're going to stop here. I was walking through the children's wing just uh, not too long ago this morning, and uh, and actually Stacy Smith, which is why she's cackling in the back, walked by me. And she goes, "Is there anything you need?" And I and I looked down, and right there in the hallway, just randomly placed, is a manger and a baby Jesus. Um, and you know, it's I was like, uh, it, uh, I, I could go for a baby Jesus right now, I guess. Because here, here's one, um, and it was the typical little wooden. You know, uh, wooden little manger with with hay and, and, and nice little cloths in there, and the and the starkingly white baby. Um, you know, the 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 image that we have created for where Jesus was born isn't necessarily what actually took place. In fact, it's not even not necess- it's not what happened. Anyone that who does any study of uh, archaeology or, or any kind of historical study of what it would have looked like, the place, the manger, the stable that he was born in, wasn't the stable that you drive out through the hill country and see. It wasn't the typical beautiful straw and hay that was placed down with this wonderful down quilted comforter that he was laid upon and it was just a glorious time and Mary gave birth with no drugs and no crying whatsoever and the baby is just like hello world that's kind of the image that we're taught right it's like this beautiful wonderful scene how many of you have been through childbirth that's not what happens is it and you did it in a hospital for most of you I know there's crazy people out there that don't but it's not how it happens. It's a tremendously wonderful, horrific event. And yet on this night of night, this silent night, no, it wasn't. There was screaming going on. Mary was screaming. Joseph was screaming. And then Jesus was certainly screaming. Stuff was going on. It was not the beautiful little night that we all see and remember. And in the manger, it was probably filthy. It was probably covered in feces. It was, for somebody that's OCD and a germphobe like me, it just, whoa. And here comes the king of kings, and he is delivered into this world in this. The next verse, it it goes on to say, there was no lodging available for them. In this translation, or there was no room for them at the inn. 
and really what that means is, okay, Bethlehem is a, tall, is a small city, small town. And because he was a, a family member of Bethlehem, he was from the line of David. This was his hometown, Joseph I'm speaking about. When Joseph goes there, it's all his cousins. It's his family. When it says there was no room at the end, that means his family said, no, you can't come here. No, we don't want you. Is there any room? Can I just sleep on your couch? My wife here, no, because we know that she's pregnant, not by you. Get out. And then somebody finally says, hey, we got a filthy little stable back there that you're welcome to have. Push aside the the sheep or cattle or whatever we have grazing in there at the moment. And that's where you can stay. Verse 8. That night some shepherds were in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of God's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. And this is how you will recognize him. You will find a baby lying in a manger wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to all whom God favors. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Come on, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They ran. They didn't walk. They didn't crawl. They ran, it says, to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. Then the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary quietly treasured these these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to the fields and flocks, glorifying and praising God for what the angels had told them. And because they had seen the child, just as the angel had said, the first visitors on the scene were outcasts of society. The first people that got there, the angels came down and said, here's what just happened, were the people that lived outside of the city. The people that were kind of a community amongst, them, amongst themselves. They were more than likely younger people. A lot of them probably younger girls. And the angel comes to these people and says, the Messiah has been born. And they leave their world behind. They leave all of their... This is their job. This is their life is to take care of these sheep. That's what you do all the time. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, your job is this. Everything you have is wrapped up in this. And it says they run. That does not give them time to say, okay, let's set up a fence around them. Okay, you stay behind and guard. Okay, let's... No. They take off running to see the king of kings. The first people to be excited and to hear about the advent of the king leave everything behind and they go to see for themselves. And then they go out and tell people about it. It's not like they they saw and they were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. That is the King of Kings. This is the Messiah who we've been waiting for. The advent has finally happened. They didn't go back to their flocks right away. They went and told people, you have got to see this. You have got to know what happened to us. Let me tell you my testimony. And then they went back. The first people who 
who came around, the first people that God told about the coming of this baby child were somewhat of, they weren't somewhat, they were people that lived outside the city. They were people that were seen outside the norm of what happened. I won't, the people of Advent Conspiracy kind of say that they were outcasts and, and rebellious people. I don't go that far, but they were not of the norm. And that's who God chose to tell first. It goes on. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. The name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered a sacrifice according to what was required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, if, if you were living during this time or if you're a biblical scholar, you know the significance of that back part. Two turtle doves or two young pigeons. This comes from Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8. In all of the laws of God, when you are dedicating your child to God, your first son, you don't bring two pigeons and two turtle doves. You bring a sheep and a ram. But if you're poor and you can't afford that, and the only thing you can afford, you must do a sacrifice. So what does this say about Mary and Joseph? They were poor. They were poor. They couldn't afford to go buy what they what God said was appropriate. So God's kind of fallback position for those that couldn't was this. For the poor of the world, he wanted for them to participate in this action, in this blessing ceremony, but but he provided for them something lesser. So if you're reading this, you know that Jesus was born in filth. The first evil that came to see him were kind of people that lived on the outskirts that had nothing, that were young, and that he was born into a poor family. Here comes the king! Look at the contrast between the advent of the emperor of Rome coming through Turkey and showing his magnificence and his glory by how many elephants and and gold and all the things that he would carry with him. That you would see the procession miles before it came. Contrast that with this. The coming of the king. This Advent season, we've been walking through this Advent conspiracy. And what we've asked you to do is enter the story. Re-enter the story of Advent. To re-enter the story of the coming of the true king. To worship Christ fully this Advent season. To spend less on those presents that none of us really need. To give more, to spend more time relationally with family members, with friends, getting to know one another. Last week, I think it was in here. No, it wasn't. It was in the next service. I, I talked about the fishing pole that we're giving Corbin for Christmas in here. And, and the next service, it occurred to me that maybe I should give him this fishing pole and attach to it as you must go fishing with me at least twice a year for the rest of your life. Why? Because he's my son. And because I should want to spend time with him. Even 
though during this past week he's been sick and on some drug that makes him absolutely nuts and crazy. I've wanted to kick him further than I have the ability to. He still is my son. I should remember that Christ came to me in the moment of weakness and darkness and and in the dirty, horrible person that I am, Christ still came. Christ still took the cross and died for me. The first gift of Christmas wasn't the gold, frankincense, or myrrh. It wasn't the little drummer boy, which really wasn't biblical. It was Christ. It was God giving himself to us. That's the gift of Christmas. That's the story of Advent. It's something so great and tremendous that it can't be held to the December 25th date that we've arbitrarily picked. It should be bigger than that. It should be a story that changes our life, that changes the world, that allows us to move from this place right here and to change our family, to change our neighborhoods, to change the world. Because a child was born in filth a couple of thousand years ago. And that child grew up to be a man who knew sin, who knew temptation, who knew the things that we know, and who died so that we could have everything. When the three guys that were started having conspiracy got together to, to begin to talk about this, they Living Water International was kind of in the conversation, and, and at the time they were really focused on Liberia. And so a couple of people from one of the churches went over to Liberia, and they and they knew that Advent conspiracy was happening, and they knew that they were about to take this big uh, offering to drill water wells in Liberia, and they knew that. Um, that would be affecting these people on the ground. And so they go to this little village and they, they walk through all these this grasses and weeds and the people are very excited to see them. And then they take them to their well. And the well essentially was like the swamp. And it was, they said it was just nasty, that it stunk, that there were bugs everywhere, that just you could see disease. And this is where the people were drinking, getting their drinking water. And he said, in fact, while we were there, Uh, women would periodically come scoop away the top layer. Yeah, it's water. Think about that. You've all seen water like that. Scoop away the top layer and then get water to carry home with them. And the chief of this little village was there with them, and, and, and they said that we just couldn't hold it in any longer. We knew what was about to happen, and so we had to tell the chief, we are going, you know, we're taking up an offering. We, we're, we're doing this so that we can build a well for you, so that you can have clean water, so that your children don't die of these diseases, because that had kind of become a way of life for this village, is to lose children periodically because of the water that they had. And, and the translator tells the story to the chief, and the chief's reaction was this. And they're all like, um... Did you say it right? (laughs) And the translator asked, did you understand me? He goes, yeah, I understand you. He said, but we've had people in the name of Jesus come many times and offer us things, and it has never happened. His hope in the name of Jesus had just dried up and been blown away because of people that were more concerned about what would happen after he died 
and after those people died, then what happened while they were still here? Part of the story of the Advent conspiracy is to see that Jesus came to the poor, to the oppressed. He came as the poor and the oppressed so that he could bring liberation and freedom and joy and hope and peace to the world, not just to the rich elite, not to the religious hierarchy, but to everyone. And if you look at the ministry of Jesus and his life, you see that he went to places that no one else would go, that he had dinner, that he communed, that he conversated with people that no one else would, that he cared about the people who were hurt and oppressed, He cared about the people, not where they would go after they died, but where they were right now. Too often that we've lost that part of the story and and we just focus on the end result as opposed to what's going on right now. And so this Christmas season, what we want you to do is to rethink it. To rethink this part of the story that Jesus Christ loved all. Loved all. His, his first ministerial act was where he was born. That should have told us volumes about what his life would be like. That should tell us volumes about how we are to live our lives. Today, uh, four years ago, On this day, at about this time, I was leaving my wife at one hospital and driving across town to another hospital to sit in an ICU with our new baby. Today is Gracie's birthday. And it began in me, the season of Advent. We're among the season of Advent, and if you were here during that time, you know that I did the Christmas Eve service on the 24th, because... Well, that's Christmas Eve. And that was the day we brought Grace home from ICU. It was truly a different Advent experience for me. The Advent season is the waiting for the, the second coming of the King. When we were pregnant and waiting for our child, this Advent, if you will, for the coming of our child, on that day, on this day, four years ago, my life was changed forever. I am not who I was four years ago because I have allowed this baby to enter into my life and to change me. I I am so much more of a compassionate person now than I was four years ago. Some of you might be going, really? You should have seen me four years ago. I cry at the drop of a hat now. Because she has changed me. Because I've allowed her to come into my heart and every day make me more of the person God wants me to be. Not every day is fun. Not every day is pretty. In the past four years, I don't know how many times we've been to doctor's offices. I don't know how many times we've been in hospitals. I don't know how many surgeries. I don't know how many medicines. I don't know how many cans of food I have shoved down a tube that goes into her stomach because she still is not eating by her mouth. 
I don't know how many days. I've prayed to hear the word daddy. But I would never change these past four years. Because God is continually shaping me and changing me into the person he longs for me to be. I have entered the story of grace and it is making me a different man. Why don't I enter the story of Jesus with the same passion? There was a baby that was born 2,000 years ago that was so much greater than grace and she's awesome. So much more powerful that his life has changed so many people's lives as they have allowed him to enter into their heart and change them into the man or woman God longs for them to be. This Advent season, as we're waiting for the coming of this king, this child, as you're sitting around the tree and opening the presents, whatever your family does on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, remember, remember that this child changed the world and this child can still change the world allow yourselves to be open to the coming of this king allow yourselves to be filled with his love and to begin to live the way he calls us to live to love all to worship fully and then these little youtube stories and things that daryl is talking about about the christmas conspiracy we won't care Because we'll be 365 days a year living, living the message of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the gift of life that you have given us. The gift of life that you have given us that came through a child. That came through a man came through Jesus. God, we thank you that you have given us this gift of life that if we just accept it, God, we would be changed and begin to be shaped and molded into the person you long for us to be. And God, I I pray that this Advent season, you would open us all up to the possibility that there is more if we allow you to come into our lives. That if we turn our back on the world and how the world has told us we are to live, that we would experience so much more hope and peace and joy. And that we would be able to share that with our family and our friends and the world. And that maybe as Christmas once changed the world, it could still again. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.